Welcome in to another episode of Home Field Advantage. Hope you're all having a great week or weekend, however or wherever you may be listening to this podcast across our great country or our great land. My name is Will Hyland. It is January 26th, 2024, the eve of championship game weekend in the NFL which for most of my life was the Patriots Invitational, but it has now become the Chiefs Invitational. That is a term I've used on this program before. In fact, five years ago, my first AFC Championship game that I covered on this program was the Patriots and the Chiefs. And so here we are five years later. It is still the Chiefs Invitational. However, this time, for the first time since 2000, and let's do some quick math here. Ooh, this is why we don't do math on the spot. 2019, 18, 17, 16, for the first time, since the 2015 season. There we go. First time since the 2015 season, this game will not be played at Arrowhead or at Gillette Stadium, but instead at uh, M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore. The Ravens, the Chiefs, these are teams that throughout my lifetime have always sort of found their way into these games. They'll be squaring off. and It should be a great matchup. So tonight is the eve of championship game weekend. Then over on the NFC side, we have San Francisco 49ers, another team that has been in this spot a lot in my life, playing host to the Detroit Lions, who, to be quite fair and blunt, I guess at the same time, they're the only team left that this is a brand new spot for them. So it's quite an enticing matchup. Um, not as interesting as last week's matchups because, you know, last week we had Jared Goff and Baker, right? Two former number one overall picks who were cast off by their team. We had the situation with the Bills and the Chiefs where the Bills finally got that game at home. Newsflash, it didn't matter. The Bills still can't come through in the clutch in the postseason, no matter what happens. In many ways, they are the anti-Chiefs. The Buffalo Bills in this decade have had many cracks at the can, and they continue to fail because they don't pull games out of their ass like the Kansas City Chiefs do. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Chiefs have basically instilled themselves as playoff favorites, Super Bowl favorites every year, and you can never count them out. You know, Joe Burrow has beaten Mahomes once in the Cincinnati Bengals two years ago. Brady has gone head-to-head against the Chiefs and beat them, but so far that's it. And there's a reason for that. It's because that team is very disciplined. And so in many ways, the Bills, they're the anti-Chiefs, they couldn't get the job done. So this year, this week's matchups aren't as interesting to me 
as last year's were, or excuse me, as last week's were. I keep saying years and weeks mixed up. Every week feels like a year when you're in January. And then meanwhile, the Lions, that's the story. They're America's darling. They took care of a Buccaneers team that they were better than at home with the possibility of a letdown looming. They took care of business. I still like San Francisco in the NFC game. Brock Purdy didn't wow me, but he sort of showed in that last drive against uh, Green Bay why people like Brock Purdy. Um, I like them because they're at home and they have a more talented team top to bottom. That said, look, if you're going to pick an upset, I mean, first of all, I haven't checked the lines on the game. But I would assume the Ravens have some sort of advantage in the betting markets. I'm going to look that up, see what the spread is. And so they're probably the favorites in the in the AFC game. I would imagine that San Francisco is the favorite in the NFC game. I'm going to check in on all this. So Baltimore, I'm correct. Baltimore is a four-point favorite. So technically the Chiefs are dogs. I'm not buying it. I think the Chiefs are going to win this game. Um, and I think the 49ers are going to win their game. They're a seven-point favorite. Um, I think they'll cover that. I think they. I think comfortably I could see San Francisco winning by 10. I think I would take the Chiefs in this game. And there's a few reasons why. Um, I'll start with the AFC. I know I've been bouncing around here. But with the Chiefs, the X factor is going to be their defense, right? Their defense is so good this year. Um, Spagnolo, Spagnolo, however you say his name, uh, he has. I'm looking up his uh, his full name because it's going to bother me. Um, he's been the difference maker in the past. The Chiefs have sort of gotten bent over in the playoffs, and this is like early on. Early on in their uh, in their run here, they got bent over a little bit, um, and mostly because they just weren't a physical defense. But the way they've been playing right now, Chris Jones healthy, Nick Bolton, um, it's Steve Spagnuolo, I believe, is how you pronounce his name. Um, they've just been playing. They've been playing different. You know, they've been they they're built different this year. They just are. I mean, I like Drew Tranquil up there as well. I mean, Willie Gay. I mean, they have some playmakers on that defense. And then of course, they have the X Factor Mahomes. Look, I've been critical on Pat Mahomes throughout his career. Um most and that's weird for a guy who's made the conference title game every year he's been a starter. But I've been critical because I think I think he gets away with it. He's able to cover up a lot. Like he'll make an amazing throw. And then he'll, you know, pull a throw out of his ass that I think he gets away with because he is Pat Mahomes and he has a great arm. Um, and I guess kudos to him for having the talent to do so. So that I've been critical of that. But he is in the playoffs. He's an X factor. You know, he does that little penguin waddle to and from the huddle. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. 
he walks like he's on his way to the bathroom sometimes. And I love the guy as a guy. I think he's a nice dude. But <laughs> I laugh sometimes. But everybody knows what I'm talking about. He'll walk into that huddle and you'll just think to yourself, oh, man, I, I think they're, they're going to pull one off here. And most of the time they do. And so that's the X factor. Of course, Andy Reid and, you know, they have great coaching. And so I like them on the road. This is what they do, right? Like, and the big litmus test was going to be, can he win a whole, can he win a road playoff game? He had never played one. They did that last week in Buffalo. And Buffalo has a great home field. Snow everywhere. It was cold. The Chiefs were used to that. They play in Arrowhead. They they had beaten um, they had beaten Miami the week before when it was like twenty below. So, with that said, I like Kansas City in this game. And the last thing I'll point to, all right, and I'm wearing a UMass Lowell hat. If you're watching on audio, excuse me, on video, because my buddy Ian works there. But I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat. Though I will say, I've always said the NFL keeps their rules subjective for a reason. And I'm talking about the catch rule, talking about PI, talking about defensive holding, talking about offensive holding, talking about anything you, you want. They make these rules gray enough so that they can be called in 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 whatever way leads to the least amount of accountability. And something tells me that if the game is close and there's a call to be made, it's going to benefit the Chiefs. I would bet my bottom dollar it will be made in the favor of Kansas City. Partially because they're an underdog, and partially because of the elephant in the room. Or should I say the pop star in the room? I think they, the league would benefit greatly if this situation with Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift made its way to the Super Bowl. I don't usually buy into these things, but I'm pointing it out now because a lot of people have, and I tend to agree with them. If there's a call to be made, I don't usually buy into these theories, but it would be it would be something that I think the NFL would be hard pressed to deny publicly that they wouldn't that they wouldn't enjoy it. Somewhere in a room back there, they've already had that conversation. But that's perhaps a topic for another day. Over on the NFC side. I like San Francisco for the things I said. I think they're a more talented team top to bottom. I think if that defense plays well and, and eliminates some of the big playability that we had seen um, Green Bay do last week, then they'll be in good shape and Brock Purdy will be able to do what he needs to do without having to take over the game. I do also think that the... Niners have a little bit of a bad taste in their mouth with the way last year went. 
They were, in my opinion, the best team last year. But they didn't get that home field, and their quarterback wasn't healthy, and Philly made them pay. I think this year they're there for unfinished business. And so, as a result, I think the San Francisco 49ers are going to win this game. And I think no matter what, you're getting a Super Bowl rematch of some kind. You're either getting a Super Bowl 43 rematch. Wait, Super Bowl 43? No, Super Bowl... Super Bowl 47. Super Bowl 47 rematch. You're going to get a Super Bowl 47 rematch between the Ravens and the Niners. Or, as I am predicting, you're going to get a Super Bowl uh, 54 rematch between the uh, San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. That's my take. I'm picking the Chiefs and I'm picking the Niners. That's who I've had penciled in for the Super Bowl since August, and whether I'm coming up with conspiracy theories or the talent on the field, I'm going to stick with my guns here and trust my gut. The same gut that told me last year that the Chiefs were going to win the Super Bowl at the beginning of the year, and the same gut that told me the year before that the Rams were going to win. I'm going for it again, and I might get 90% of my other takes wrong, but this is the take that I'm going to stick to. All right, speaking of takes I'm going to stick to, a couple weeks ago I told Cam and Kyle that I thought Jim Harbaugh was going to go to the Chargers. Now, I'm not going to pretend I came up with that concept that had been batted around by pundits for a few days. And now it's been made official. Jim Harbaugh will be the next coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. I like the move for them. He gets his shot. He's a West Coast guy, I think, at heart. Just talking about San Francisco. He coached in that Super Bowl in 2012. He also is a guy who has worked at Stanford and I believe San Diego. Um, And now he gets the chance to go out to L.A. again, back to the West Coast. He gets to work with Justin Herbert. And Michigan gets to be left with, you know, they got their natty. Right, they they've beat Ohio State three years in a row. They beat Bama, and they beat Washington in the Natty, and they got their they've got their championship. So we left his alma mater. He delivered them a national championship, their first since the early nineties. It's a big deal, and I think now Jim Harbaugh going to the back to the NFL. This is the perfect time for him. The one thing that's perplexing is that. Bill Belichick still doesn't have a job. Bill Belichick, despite everything I said about Bill Belichick, positive, negative, and indifferent, is still worthy of an NFL job. Think about how many bad coaches we had this year. I mean, I'm talking bad coaches all around, including Belichick himself, actually. So maybe this isn't a great argument to make, but there was a lot of subpar coaching jobs. I look at... um, I look at a lot of coaches who were dealt a bad hand due to quarterback injury, you know, a guy like Sala or Zach Taylor, but also like Mike Vrabel in Tennessee. You know, the Titans, not interested in Bill Belichick? Okay. How about that clown down there in uh, Atlanta who got fired? Apparently the Falcons interviewed Belichick. They didn't think he was better than him. Now, 
some of these teams have went and got and got their own guys. Like I believe the Falcons went and hired the defensive coordinator of the Rams. Oh, sorry. Or did he go to Carolina? Well, somebody went to Carolina from somebody from Tampa and somebody from LA went to either Carolina and Atlanta. I don't know which way went where, but I digress. Those jobs have now been taken. The San Diego, excuse me, the LA job has now been taken by Harbaugh. So we're really looking at the Washington job and the Seattle job. Because at this point, everyone else has sort of been taken care of, I think. And I don't think anyone else is going to get fired. You know, I, I don't, you know, Sean McDermott has survived the week, to my knowledge. Uh, McCarthy has survived the week. Uh, now, something could happen and change. But where's Bill Belichick going to go? I think Washington is the most logical place. I've said that as another call I made. We'll see if that happens. But at this point, if it's not Washington, I don't think it's going to be Seattle. Uh, and, and, you know, and then you're just sort of left looking around, wondering uh, who's going to, who's going to be left when the music stops. And right now, it looks like Belichick is not on that list. This could change, though. All right, speaking of not being on the list, all right, um, I'm going to switch back to football in a second with a closing thought. But I want to talk a little bit about the Baseball Hall of Fame. Now, Todd Helton, Joe Maurer, and Adrian Beltre get into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Great. I like all those guys. All those guys, to me, are Hall of Famers. They are. I mean, Joe Maurer, of my generation, it went Piazza, and then it went Joe Maurer, all right? That's kind of how it went with Yadier Molina in there, too. Those three guys, catching-wise, you had Pudge Rodriguez, you had Piazza, and then the torch was handed to Joe Maurer and Yadi. In my opinion, that's how it goes. Um, you know, some guys played longer. You know, you had, you, had a, you had a few guys in there. You know, Sal Perez is great. I think he's going to end up being a Hall of Famer, too, at some point. Um, you know, you had other catchers sprinkled in. I'm not going to pretend that Maurer... And Molina were the only great catchers of you know my adolescence, but Joe Maurer is in that conversation. Todd Helton is, other than Larry Walker, probably the best Colorado Rocky ever. So if you're the top like two or three in your franchise, you should be a Hall of Famer. And then Adrian Beltre, nobody will tell you that he is not a top five third baseman of the past 25 years. I mean, A-Rod, I guess you can count as a third baseman. Um, Adrian Beltre. I mean, David Wright was on the ballot. He didn't get in. If he didn't get hurt, maybe you talk about him. But, it, it, I mean, it's Adrian Beltre. The hits alone right, are enough to get him in. So those three guys all deserve to get in. It's never really about who did get in. Because ultimately, people, I guess, will just shake their head and nod either way. It's really when you're talking about the Baseball Hall of Fame. We just added to the laundry list of things to bitch about with Major League Baseball. And and it's really a discussion about who didn't get in. And, you know, again, we're going over the same argument we've been having for five or ten years now about some of these steroid guys. And look, my take is simple. 
right? Some people are like, you can't call it a Hall of Fame without these guys in it. Um, they can call it whatever the hell they want to do. They're a private organization, and it's still legitimate, in my opinion. It is losing its legitimacy because of all this arguing and infighting we have over it. So this situation really needs to be resolved. I don't have the perfect answer. I'm just telling you that it is still a legitimate organization, and it needs to be saved. So make of that what you want. The Hall of Fame doesn't owe shit to Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, or any of those other guys. They don't. Um, they don't owe anybody anything. It's a committee. You know, I would love it if I was voted, like, most attractive in high school. I wasn't because I wasn't. You know what I mean? And nobody owed me that. It was a vote. So, you know, <laughs> I was not voted most athletic, best looking, most likely to succeed. I mean, it's a popularity contest. It is what it is. All right? And the sooner we accept that, the better we're going to be. It's like any Hall of Fame ever. Now, people will say, oh, it's not fair, it's not fair. Okay, well, sure, if it's not fair that it's a popularity contest, then how is it fair for somebody whose statistics and achievements were inflated to get in? You know? But at the same time, if you're, tell if you're going to tell somebody that you're, that you're using the Hall of Fame to distribute um, knowledge of the best players to ever play the sport, and some of the best players to ever play the sport statistically aren't in that Hall of Fame, then again, it loses some of its legitimacy. So I get it all. I hear all the arguments. What I'm telling you is, as I've always said, the Hall of Fame is a reflection on the history of baseball. You cannot tell the story of the Hall of Fame without Barry Bonds. Yes, you cannot tell the story of the Hall of Fame without, or excuse me, of Major League Baseball without Roger Clemens. Yes. But you, you also cannot tell the story of their careers. You cannot tell the story of their careers without PED usage. I'll use this example again because I said I, I say this every year. It's almost like clockwork. The end of January, everyone gets all jazzed up and cranked about the Hall of Fame. And I say this every year. If you're going to have the Marriage Hall of Fame, all right, and you let a divorcee in there, you know, that <laughs> that's not really a good look, you know, because everybody knows that, yeah, they had a marriage so they could be in the Hall of Fame, but we're not putting that marriage in the Hall of Fame. It ended in a bad way. These people's careers, after they were done playing, we're still tarnished. And whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent, it happened. And so I'm okay with the story of baseball being told. And look, there's a huge museum component of, the, of Cooperstown as well. But if you're going to tell a story about the history of the sport, and you're going to want to include guys who have major black holes in their career as a result of PED usage, then you have to tell that too. You cannot pretend it didn't happen. So, I again, I don't know what the right answer is. Look, I think a lot of times people are, and I said this and people disagree with me, but I think a lot of times we're willing to look past steroid guys, quote-unquote, who we like. For example, I love David Ortiz. David Ortiz was a childhood idol of mine. 
there was a report on my 12th birthday. It came out. I remember it like it was yesterday that named him and Manny Ramirez as being PED guys, essentially. And Manny has had a few other failed drug tests as a result, and he's punished for it. Ortiz, because we like the guy, and I love the dude, and he's good with the media, and he's good on Fox Sports in front of the camera, and he's really good with charity, and he almost got shot a few years ago. I think people, he actually did get shot. He he almost got murdered. He was It was an attempted murder. Um, I think people are willing to look past all of these things because we like David Ortiz, and he's big poppy. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that's the truth. I'm willing to look past it, I guess, because you can sort of work yourself out of it by saying, oh, well, maybe he didn't know, or maybe it was only one time, or maybe he didn't do it after the fact, or maybe it wasn't prolonged, or maybe he was clean about it after, or that other people lied for him, or that he didn't really know. But it, it still happened, right? We don't give Ryan Braun and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and Barry Bonds that treatment. We don't give Manny Ramirez that treatment. We don't give Rafael Palmero that treatment. And a lot of people point to the George Mitchell report. I love George Mitchell. George Mitchell's probably the best politician in the history of the state of Maine, I would argue. He is a icon in this state. He's the reason why I was able to afford college. I love the dude. He was also... There were no Red Sox included in that report. You know, I don't he I believe him when he says there's not bias, but if we look to the George Mitchell report and there were no real Red Sox named, and that's the cornerstone of how we build who deserves and doesn't deserve to get Hall of Fame in the Hall of Fame because they either were or weren't mentioned in the Mitchell report. That's kind of a loose standard. I think the Mitchell report was great in exposing a lot of this, but we can't really look at that anymore considering all the things that have changed, we can't really look at that as the number one determinant of who does or doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, George Mitchell could broker peace in Ireland, and he could do all these great things, and he added a great component to baseball. But it's also a 16-year-old document, and a lot of things in the sport have changed since then, and a lot of those guys have retired or news has come out. Um, so I think we have to reevaluate how we look at the Hall of Fame. Helton, Maurer, Beltre, all deserving. Andrew Jones should have got in. Uh, Billy Wagner should have got in. There's a lot of guys on that uh, are part of the Writers Association who have votes who, you know, probably have bias themselves. I probably would think that all of them have some degree of bias. So it's never going to be a perfect system. A lot of people have proposed, have the players vote. I think that would be interesting. Because the players are the ones who conceivably were going against these steroid users. And and by players, I think they mean living members of the Hall of Fame. And so they would probably be the best arbiter on who deserves to get in. But while we're on the topic... PEDs isn't the only thing that keeps guys out. I mean, 
if we had really high moral standards for the Baseball Hall of Fame, then there'd be a lot of guys from 100 years ago that you might not want in the Hall of Fame. And I think we all know what what I'm getting at there. Or, you know, there's guys like Kurt Schilling. People don't like his political beliefs. He's kind of a jerk. He actually is a major jerk. I hated the way he handled the whole Wakefield thing. Uh, Rest in peace, Tim Wakefield. But can you really not say that Kurt Schilling is a Hall of Famer on the field? He was never a PED guy. In fact, he had great numbers pitching against a lot of those PED guys. And that's that's my point, right? Is because of politics or personal character or whatever, or the fact that he ticks off the people that are voting, Kurt Schilling's not in the Hall of Fame. Likewise, Pete Rose has, you know, signed contractually that he won't be in the Hall of Fame. And that that ban, he's agreed to that ban in some respects. Should that ban be lifted? It's interesting because Ichiro is going to probably make it next year, I would hope. And, you know, I think think sometimes we forget that Ichiro's numbers are so great. They are augmented by time professionally in Japan, but he's still such a good player that it won't matter anymore. But we forget how dominant Ichiro is because a lot of people are afraid to compare him to Pete Rose. So, I don't know the best way to do it, but what I will tell you is everything in sports is somewhat corrupt. It just is because we're dealing with humans and human nature. But if we could find a way to move beyond all of this and... And, and get to a point where we're talking about the guys that got in and everything they did rather than the guys that didn't get in. There's, there's halls and pages and everything written about the guys that got get in, but we don't talk about them in everyday life because as soon as they're in the, oh, the guy's a Hall of Fame, you know, if they get introduced, they'll be, oh, Hall of Famer Jim Rice, Hall of Famer Dan Eckersley, Hall of Famer, um, you know, I don't know, Pedro Martinez or somebody like that. Like, we'll we'll talk about them, but we got to talk about them and celebrate them for getting in and stop focusing too much on the guys that got left out. But character in sports is something that I, I think we're going to be debating for years to come. And before I close up here, News broke today in while we're on the topic of character that the Patriots rookie wide receiver Keishon Butte, LSU uh, player, I think he had two catches for 20 yards this year. Didn't have a great rookie campaign, only dressed for five games. He was arrested for underage gambling, gambling on sports, gambling on games he was in. Gambling in a state and violating the laws of that state. All these things. There's a big, long article I read it in The Athletic. There's a lot of lingual speak. Patriots are aware of it. LSU was made aware of it. FanDuel was the one who blew the whistle on it, I believe. Um, and he's going to have to pay the consequences, whatever they are. Now, before everyone jumps on him, I will just say that he wasn't, it wasn't like a 
Black Sox situation. He wasn't bidding on himself to lose. It wasn't a Tim Donahue situation or anything like that. Um, but uh, it's still a bad look. It is. It is a bad look. I, and I feel for the guy as a young kid making a dumb, dumbass mistake, and he deserves to pay the consequences of it. But I will also point out, there's two things about this story that bother me. The first is sort of a less severe one in that college athletes and gambling and not being allowed to gamble on sports and all that stuff. I mean, look, I was I play I joke about this all the time. I played college baseball for two weeks, all right? I wasn't even really on the team, and I still had to sign a thing that said I wouldn't gamble on sports. That was before sports gambling became the wild, wild west and everyone started doing it, too. So, I mean, it's okay for everybody to, you know, gamble on March Madness and stuff. But if the players who are involved do it, even if it's to, you know, they're gambling on themselves, then holy shit, we can't have that. I find that a little hypocritical. All right. Now, I'm not saying players should gamble. So everyone, they do not put it on the front page. Will Highland says Pete Rose gambling on his games were fine. Will Highland says Keyshawn Boutte or Calvin Ridley or whoever else gambling on games was fine. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, and this leads to my second point, if the sports entities are to get in bed with sports gambling like they have, then this is a natural byproduct of that. It is a consequence that I have been talking about for years that people laugh at me about. Sports gambling will ruin sports. I'll say it again slower. Sports gambling will ruin sports. I know everyone's all hyped up about it. I don't have a fan duel or a bet MGM or a win bet or any other of these subscriptions that I'm being held hostage by. And ever since I first started talking about this, there's been business opportunities that I haven't had because of this opinion. But I am sticking to it. It will ruin sports. It is a natural, what is happening with these players getting in trouble is a natural byproduct of the ecosystem that has been allowed to grow. Because the state governments are greedy and they want to cut. Because the gambling companies are greedy and they love this. And because a culture has been created where it's not a big deal. It's sports betting. You know, your first five bonus bets are free. You know, and then call them New Jersey Redline or whatever. We've all heard the ads. It's the last 30 seconds of any advertisement is you can't even hear it. It sounds like a, you know, teleprompter right out of uh, 1984. Or, you know, the other end of the phone on Charlie Brown. Nobody understands what these people are saying. Gambling causes addictions. It's bad. It is not a good thing. It ruins people's lives. Now, everyone's going to call me straight laced and whatever. You know, and I get it. I've heard that my whole life. And I'm not trying to be better than anyone. If you want to gamble on the side and make a few bucks here or there, and you're not addicted, then it's probably harmless. But don't. Be surprised when the sports world that has been encouraging this, it's much like PED use. Bud Selig looked the other way for years. Then suddenly it became a problem and he had to address it. That's what's going to happen with this. It's encouraged because 
the sports organizations and the state governments and the gambling companies and the advertising people and podcasters like myself love the revenue it generates. Everyone loves the revenue that's being generated until the home until the home run contest between Sosa and McGuire is over, and now you have a rampant problem on your hands. That's what's going to happen with sports betting. Kayshawn Booty's not the first. He won't be the last. And this praise on young men who want to make money. I'm young. I'm a man. I'd love to make money. They're preying on me. We all love sports, right? They're advertising over and over and over again. Nesson doesn't have money to do a daily sports highlight show anymore. Apparently, they don't want to do live programming. They'll do a live gambling show, though. And so when the Patriots wide receiver gets busted and arrested for underage gambling and all this stuff, and you know he's gambling on games he's involved, when, involved in, it's part of a culture that has been allowed to grow over the last five to seven years unchecked. And look, the states will get into it. There'll be disclaimers that have to be set at the end of ads. There will be taxes Im- imposed. There will be you know limits and all these things. Ultimately, sports gambling has the sports world held hostage. And it's bad. It's bad for sports. It's going to be bad long term. Right now, it might seem cool, but so was steroid use in baseball until people found out about how bad and widespread it was. What happens when a championship game at any level is corrupted by this? This is the reason why commissioners exist in sports. We haven't, we just had a pandemic. Hundred years before, we had seen it before, and we didn't really plan in modern times to stop it. A little over a hundred years ago, there was a gambling scandal in sports. And in order to stop it, they instituted commissioners. 100 years in the future, these leagues led by these commissioners have become, have become so corrupt and lustful for money that they're willing to sort of forget why they even exist in the first place. Fans, we're not the end consumer anymore. I guess that if you're going to take away the moral of the story, it's going to be we're not the end consumer. They want us to be the end consumer when we buy their product or participate in the sports gambling They don't want us to be the end consumer when it comes to having an affordable ticket. As long as there's money going into sports gambling and that sports gambling money is going into the leagues themselves, there's not an incentive for ticket prices to go down, for streaming costs to go down, for any of this to go down. And so we can cry all we want about an NFL game being put on Peacock. But part of the reason why they're able to do this, it's supply and demand. And right now, the supply and the demand of sports betting is through the roof, and it's leading to things like Keishon Boudé and Calvin Ridley missing time, being arrested, or both. And ultimately, that's what's going. That's what's going to be the downfall of a lot of sports leagues in America. Maybe uh, might not be next year, might not be twenty years from now, but if this isn't held in check in some way, shape, or form, in a way that's accountable. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of Home Field Advantage. I appreciate you tuning in. If you disagree with me about anything, lines, phone lines always open. I will never, I will never turn down a high spirited sports debate, whether it's about gambling, the Hall of Fame, who's going to win this weekend. 
or if there really is a fix-in for Kansas City. I'm game. That said, I look forward to the week ahead. Hope you enjoy the rest of your week. If you haven't, um, please subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts, or both. You can also follow us on social at HomeFieldPod. We just had a new episode of Odd Man Rush come out. Diesel and I talked all things NHL, so I encourage you to listen to that as well. That's in this feed if you're listening on audio. In the meantime, though, we'll be back next week to break down the conference championships and preview the Super Bowl. But until then, my name is Will Highland. It's January 26, 2024, and you've been listening to Home Field Advantage. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite provider, including Spotify, Apple, Google, and Stitcher. Be sure to also check us out two times a week on those platforms, on Monday and on Thursday. All of the Sportland USA programs are independent, and the opinions expressed in them do not reflect those of any other company, outlet, person, or entity.